from the NFL. If you're Dak Prescott, individual numbers aren't enough anymore. You want to get paid? Win something. To the NBA. Who gives a about the Pelicans if Zion don't play? Across the landscape of college football. There's no such thing as a good loss in the ACC. So if you're Clemson, you better win every game. And so much more. Let's talk some sports, baby. The stories you want. Baseball is back. Basketball is almost back. And football is on the way. You love to see it. The opinions you need. Sports is what this country needs. And I truly, truly believe that. Holla at your boy. It's Jay Wise. It's the drink. It's the beard. And it's the wisdom. I hope you brought pen and paper because class is in session. And Nathan Drinkard. Remember, make tomorrow better than today and make today better than yesterday. And you know what we're going to do. We're going to holler at you until next time, baby. This is A Drink of Wisdom. Welcome to A Drink of Wisdom with Jay Wise and Nathan Drinkard. I'm your host, Cody Ward. Thank you for spending some of your time with us tonight. As a reminder to all our listeners, besides being on all your favorite podcast platforms, A Drink of Wisdom is also on YouTube with each so segment available. Head on over if you like what you hear. Well, we would appreciate your subscription. What's going on, guys? Hey, what's going on? Playoffs. Good time. Good time of year. Glad to have them. Anyway, it's the uh, it's the drink. It's the beard. Mr. Wisdom. Let's do it. Let's talk some sports, baby. You know what it is. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Let's do it, man. In episode 87, the Celtics take care of business, the Bucks do not, and we delve into the Big Ten college football fiasco. But we begin tonight with a look at game one of Clippers-Mavericks. The Clippers ultimately took care of the Mavs, 118-110, thanks to a 56-point combination from Kawhi and Paul George. Luka led the Mavericks with 42 in his playoff debut, but without Porzingis, thanks to a second-half ejection, they were unable to close out the game. Despite being a two-versus-seven matchup, though, Dallas did prove they were here to play, leading for stretches, and even digging out of an early 18-2 hole. So, Jay, was the Porzingis ejection really the difference? Do the Mavs have a legit chance to shock the Clippers? What do you think? First of all, um, out of all the 1-8 and 2-7 matchups, this was the most compelling to me, and uh, my position on that is unchanged. Um, but, no, they, they don't have a chance against the Clippers. Uh, I think they got a chance to win a game, and that game may have been last night if we want to get into, um, you know, Kristaps Porzingis perhaps being the difference. He was ejected uh, with about nine minutes left to go in the third quarter, and the Mavericks were up by five at that particular moment in time. Uh, but overall, da- Dallas, Dallas can't handle the Clippers. They just don't have enough. When we look at the Clippers and we look at the Mavericks and we compare those two teams, um, much like when we look at the Mavericks and Lakers, uh, the Clippers-Lakers, rather. Um, all, all three of these teams have dynamic duos, um, Kawhi and PG-13, and then the, uh, the Mavericks with the young uh, European connection with Luka and Porzingis. Um, but then when you go down the roster after that, um, it's a bit of a mismatch. Uh, you consider how the Clippers can go with Marcus Morris, who, by the way, that was the best game he's played with the Clippers in my estimation so far, giving you 19 points. Um, playing some good defense and being part of the reason Porzingis was ejected from that game. Uh, but, you, but you know about Lou Williams. You know about Shaman, Montres Harrell, who, oh, by the way, you didn't get a whole lot from those guys last night. So we also we got to keep that in mind when you talk about, well, was Porzingis, was the ejection of Porzingis the difference? Well, I mean, it could have been, but we also got to think about guys for the Clippers 
um, on down the line who didn't really do a lot. Oh, by the way, you can add Patrick Beverly in there as well. He didn't do a whole lot, lot last night except fall around looking like he's doing a Kyle Lowry impersonation. Um, but no, th- listen, this, this series. Hi, Kyle Lowry, uh, he, he, he inspirational. This game. <laughs> he's inspirational. <guy. laughs> that's, that's one way of putting it. Uh, but this, but this, uh, this game and this series, I think it's going to go how we think it's going to go. Um, we can get into those technicals and we know whether we agree with them or disagree with them. But all in all, I think when you look at Kawhi, when you look at Paul George, and when you get those two guys out there clicking on all cylinders, as they appear to be last night, um, I mean, they're going to be tough to beat. And when you, you add in Marcus Morris, when you get that third guy, a lot of nights they're going to have a third, a fourth, and a fifth guy. And Marcus Morris, that's a bonus when he can shoot that way and make uh, go three for, six, three for six from downtown. Um, it's pretty simple. But since, since we mentioned the technicals, I know that's been a hot topic. So let me get into those. First of all, the, fir- the first technical for Porzingis, it was, it was weak. There's no doubt about it. Um, I actually thought when that, uh, that it looked like a clean block from Porzingis, it looked like the whole Dallas Maverick five-man crew on the court. They all reacted in such a way I would have given them a team technical. Just a team technical, and the next one you get, then we'll, we'll let somebody shoot free throws. But they gave it to Porzingis. I thought it was pretty weak. But then the second technical, you go into the third quarter, and, you know, Doncic and Morris, they get a little tangled up. That's part of what Marcus Morris does. He's an irritant. He's an agitator. So then you have Porzingis coming in from the side, and he's, you know, acting like he wants to throw down. And then the refs have to come in there, and they have, they have to put, a stop, put, uh, put the clamps on that stuff. They're not going to um, let any situation get, get out of control. They got to maintain some level of order in this game. They don't want to see, you know, some big brawl going out there. This ain't the NHL for crying out loud. So, you know, they dish out double technicals. And, oh, by the way, you know, live on the broadcast, George, you were there. At least I think you were. And I said, well, that's easy. That's a double technical. They reviewed it. They made the call. It's something that we've seen. We see this. You know, they've been doing this stuff for years now. You know, they see two guys kind of getting into it. They're going to put the clamps on it, give out double technicals. We're going to move on. The problem here is, and people, some people I think are missing this, Porzingis was not ejected for that act. He was ejected because it was his second technical foul. And that's where you have to take some responsibility if you're an individual player. When you have one technical foul already, that's your warning. And as bogus as you may think it was, you are on notice for the rest of the game. And Porzingis, Drink brought up a great point. Young guy, first playoff experience, might have not taken that into good consideration as he should have. So I think it's a valuable learning experience. But overall, you just that's part of the Marcus Morris effect. You can't get suckered into anything with Marcus Morris because of your Porzingis. You're way too valuable. You're too valuable to your team to get involved in something like that. I get it. You want to defend your teammate at all. But you already have one technical. You can't do anything. You got to be on your absolute best behavior the rest of the game and don't give the referees an excuse to throw you out. Let 42 or let somebody else, you know, get in the mix and defend Luka Doncic. That shouldn't be your responsibility right there. Yeah. So since we brought up the technicals, hey, it's only right that I start with the technicals. Boop. So listen, um, let's be real here. We 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 seen it. Both calls needed some milk. That's that's what it was. They both needed some milk. You know what I'm saying? It does about it good. Now, as as we 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 gather this information, here's the deal. Um so Porzingis goes up, he 
clean block on Paul George, clean block. If you want to say, all right, his forearm rubbed Paul George's forearm, so that was a foul on the body. Okay, but I I don't think that's why the referee called it. He called it because he felt like the the hand was hacked, and he he dis he disrupted his roll to the basket. All right, cool. Porzingis get mad. He say something. Here's the deal. It's no way you're gonna tell me Porzingis said something so bad that oh man he's he's over the line. Give him a tech. Now if you want to give him a tech because of his act, the way he looked the way he was coming. Cool. I mean, I, I don't like it, but cool. Whatever. The, the, the referees are the referees. They can look at it however they look at it. It is what it is. This game been played 100 years this way. It ain't going to change today. You know what I mean? So, all right, you give Porzingis the, the technical. Now, at that time, I'm thinking in my head, hmm, could you just challenge that? And if it gets overturned, could you remove that? Not really thinking the NBA protocol, how that works when it comes to technicals. Only the NBA can remove a technical, those guys in the head shed. So, all right, whatever. So I'm thinking, Rick Carlisle, just challenge the fall. So even if Porzingis keeps the technical, at least he know you as the coach, you had his back, you thought he was right. All right, do you have it in the – do you have that challenge left for you in the fourth quarter? You don't. But I think that was a pretty pivotal moment of the game because Porzingis picked that foul up, and clearly he didn't understand that you only get two of them. That's why he come running up in the crowd like he about to do something, look like he breaking up a school fight. Look, listen, is it, you, I think Rick, Rick Carlisle should have saved his star player a little bit on that. But to, to go to the softness of the, the, the both calls, yeah, they soft. Porzingis – and I and I want to I want to make sure well, we all on the same page with this. I think last night was a big moment in two different ways for the Dallas Mavericks because we do have to understand that European connection, as Jay called it. Look, here's the deal: this is their first playoff game ever. Not only is it not only is this their first playoff game ever, it's their first playoff game in the bubble during the coronavirus, doing all this. It, I mean, it's so much emotion and you know, distraction going around this day, this way and the other. What I liked about what I seen last night was it was a learning lesson for Porzingis. It was a learning lesson, first and foremost. You can't come out here with that crap. This ain't a random Tuesday night in San Antonio, buddy. This this ain't it. This the playoffs. You you have to stay in tune with what's going on. You get one fall, one cheap one, one dollar store fall, you got to stay quiet. And Jay made this point earlier. A guy by the name of Paul George also had a foul. I mean, a technical foul early in the game. And he carried that sucker all the way to the end. That that just shows you the difference between a veteran and a guy that's coming up, that's, that wants to be a, a star, a superstar. Paul George is there. Porzingis got to learn some things before he gets up there. That's just – it's levels to this. That's what we seen last night. It's levels. Because had Porzingis knew that, I don't think he goes running running into that crowd all crazy. No. Now, my second point, he ran into the crowd. He had um, Luka Doncic back. He had his boy back. You know what I'm saying? Hey, hey, don't be getting rough with my boy. That's that's our leading player. No, I ain't playing that. I hit you with one of these European, you know what I'm saying? So, after the game, what I liked was Luka, when they interviewed Luka, the very first thing he says is, yo, he did that for me. 
he had my back. He came to my, my you know, in my rescue. That's what I like. I like to see that because what that tells me from now on, even if they got swept in the series, whatever the case might be, the, in the future, these guys seem to like to play with each other. Right? They seem to like they're building a bond. They, we got to remember these both these dudes are still babies. Um, cause um, Luca like twenty one. Porzingis can't be no no older than about twenty three if that. Like he has. I don't. I just they're babies, so they're growing together, so they're learning things together. Anybody that have kids understand what I'm saying. Like when you have kids and they grow up, they just start learning more and more and more and more and more about each other. All right, they get older, they hate each other. But either way. They start, you know what I'm saying, get, you know, getting along, you know, growing up with each other and learning more about each other. And that's what I seen last night. I thought that was a great sign for the Dallas Mavericks as far as the future go. I thought that was a great sign as far as them being the duo and, you know, leading Dallas off to some great things. But Pozingas learned a lesson last night. Now here's the deal. With all that said, that that was the headliner was the two, the two technicals. We we still had a game to play. And let me just tell you something. Luca dropping 42 or 40. He dropped 40. 42. What was it? 40. 42. 42. Okay. He dropped 42. Porzingis had the most interesting 14 points I ever seen in a bubbles game because when I seen this after the game, I'm like, 14. Nah, he had more than that. I could have sworn I watched him do more than that. Nope, that's what I watched him do. So I thought that had to be the most interesting 14 points I I ever seen. And then, you know, Hardaway and Curry. My point, my point of bringing them up is this. If you look at this, this still was a one-man show. That ain't going to get the job done. Even when Porzingis was playing, evidently, it seemed somewhat of a one-man show. That ain't it. Because when I look over here at the Clippers and I see Kawhi had 29, Paul George had 27, um, Morris had 19, Lou Williams, sweet chicken, Magic City Lou had 14. Like that's that's you spreading it out. You're you now you spread, you're not putting out a load on one person. Dallas, if you don't take anything else from that game, just know you're not winning like this. You're not winning being a one one man band. I'm sorry. Not you that's not gonna happen. I do like that Luka Doncic did this in his very first playoff game that's very encouraging for the future of the NBA, for the future of the Dallas Mavericks. But I don't want to see this. If I see this for four straight games, guess what? Go on pencil the Clippers in because they're going to sweep them and we're going to get on to it. So um, overall, I thought it was a, a very it – it was a really good entertaining game up into the whole Porzingis thing. And then Dallas fell off the rails after that. That show you how important Porzingis was. As soon as he get ejected, Dallas looked at uninterested in doing anything else. The only other, the only person that was playing after that was um, Luka Doncic. Everybody else was kind of like, ah, we lost out. Ah, I don't feel like shooting no more. I don't, play, I don't feel like playing defense. I just found out what what number forty two name was. Now I gotta actually talk to him. You know, oh this dude, don't get me started. Don't get me started on 42. <laughs> I'll leave that man alone. He's but, uh, his best. <laughs> oh my god. Um, but yeah, that uh to answer your question, um Porzingis did make a um he did make a difference last night. I do think the Mavericks could have snuck and won one last night. It's usually the first game you that you do try to win. I mean, just take a, a page out of the Orlando Magic book. You know what I'm saying? You, that's the one you want to win is the first one. And um, 
no, the Mavericks ain't you know, they ain't shocking nobody. They ain't shocking nobody. Not with this defense. Not with this one man band. They ain't shocking nobody. They might win a game. I'm not saying they won't win a game, but the Clippers gonna win this series. That's all it is to it. So yeah, that's my outlook on that one, man. Yeah, I mean, as far as the technical goes, y'all mostly covered it. I would just add that if you're Przingis, especially when you're talking about that second technical, when when that brawl, it's not even really a brawl, it was just Morris and Doncic were just close to each other. Like, they were kind of above those grills. But it's not like Morris had a freaking chair over his head. He was about to crack Doncic's skull with it. I mean, you know, I get, like, going after and, like, protecting your dude, but you got to be a little smarter than that because I'm pretty sure if you went back after it and said, hey, Doncic, would you ever Porzingis ran up and got next to you or been there the entire second half on that, like, microphone <laughs> on a stick interview? View, he probably would have said, hey, I'd rather have him in the second half. So, yeah, in the moment it feels right, but you got one tech, you know these guys are calling it uh, tight, and you're not part of that initial event. You're coming over after the fact and instigating further. They're going to call that. And, and, hey, you know, like you said, Drink, th- those calls need a milk, but you got to be smarter in the first place. Uh, if you're Porzingis, you are a star. You are one of the guys that we're going to rely on. You got to – just that is that comes to the territory, whether it's right, wrong, or center – you got you to gotta think a little smarter. You know, as far as the game goes real quick, I would say that you can take this a couple different ways, but one thing I look at is I feel like the Mavericks, besides keeping Porzingis around, that's about what they're going to play like. Luka's going to be brilliant. You got five threes from Seth Curry. You got solid effort from Tim Hardaway. Hey, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist gave you two threes. Yeah, that's six points you probably weren't expecting. And even there, you look at the Clippers and go, well, Harold barely played. He was just getting his feet wet. Williams is going to get better. Even guys like Green and Jackson, they're probably going to play better down the stretch. And you know that you're going to get that mm-hmm. from Kawhi and Paul George at a minimum. That's like you're getting that before they even step on the court. So how much better can the Mavericks really play down the stretch? And one particular matchup that worries me with the Mavericks is really, it's really Doncic in defensive assignments. So he was on Morris most of the game and Morris had his best night in the bubble so far. He had 19 points and there's not a lot of other places to hide Doncic's weakness on defense because his biggest problem with his game really is the defensive side of the ball. We know in the playoffs, coaches can really begin to exploit that. And it's much harder to kind of hide a guy, you know, if you will, on that defensive side and the Clippers, they can start rotating different guys in there maybe you take Beverly out and you put someone else in that Doncic can't really guard maybe you see some changes like that and I think Doc Rivers will make those adjustments in the second half or the second game of the series and when you look at um going further or going further you know with Doncic when you combine that weakness on the defensive side and the turnovers that's it takes away some of that luster of the 42 points I mean he's a brilliant young player he's got plenty of time to fix these problems but in this series at minimum, he's got to take care of the ball a little better because he didn't have a lot of turnovers, especially early on. And that's something he's going to have to improve. But yeah, overall, I, I mean, I think the Clippers, I mean, I'm sorry, I think the Mavericks could definitely pull out a game on this series, but it's hard to imagine they're going to really, really work back into the series overall and make it a seven game, you know, competitive deal. All right, fellas, let's go ahead and turn over to the Eastern Conference with a recap of the Celtics 76ers game. The dynamic, the dynamic Boston Wings of Tatum and Brown carried the day, pouring in about 30 points each and a 109-101 victory. Gordon Hayward had the injury curse strike again, going down with an ankle injury, but Boston was able to make do. Philly did get 26 points and 16 rebounds from Joel Embiid, but the turnovers and perimeter defense sunk their hopes of overcoming the odds without the help of Ben Simmons. Drink, game one seemed to go probably about how we expected. Do, do you see anything such as the loss of Gordon Hayward changing anything for game two? Well, uh, let's see. Um, the loss of Gordon Hayward, no. But um, if you want to do the, resur- the resurrection of Jesus, um, Armageddon, um, 
listen, my point, my point is this. Unless Tobias Harris get out of that grave that he laying in, it ain't happening. Um, you out here, uh, we depending on old Shaky, and he looked at Shaky. Um, and it, listen, I, I'm not – last night, all right, so here's my theory on this. So last night we all watching the game, I, and, I, and I text you guys, and I'm like, book it. Philadelphia going to win this. Uh, Tobias Harris. And before I could send that text, he was done. I, I thought it was a moment, it was a slither of that game where I looked at Tobias Harris and I said, oh, we're about to get that max contract to Tobias Harris. Joel and B going to see Harris going off and be like, oh, I got me somebody. Oh, it's time to turn up, baby. Let's roll. We in the bubble. And then the bubble burst. And then Tobias Harris went back to what he do. And I looked like a fool at the end of the game. So as much as I would um, like to go – no, I'm, I'm lying. I wouldn't even like to go against the grain. Hell no. Look, this series is over. And I'm going to tell you why. Me and Jay talked about this before the game. The Celtics have a single ingredient that I like a whole lot that a lot of – not all playoff teams have. Like, for example, Milwaukee don't have this. Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart will be the reason why the 76ers, they're going to be in the rearview mirror. I know what people are saying. Marcus Smart, are you kidding me? Like, why is he so important? Oh, he's more important than Jason Tatum. He's more important than Jalen Brown. He's more important than Kimber Walker. Yes. And I'm going to tell you why. Not because of scoring. Not because of scoring. It's not that. Those guys are way better scorers. Those guys. It's about he will go down and do the little things that nobody wants to do. Jason Tatum don't want to be out here nagging at dudes and trying to get out of their skin. He want a ball. Jalen Brown, you need a guy like this. My best comparison is I compare him to what Draymond Green do for the Golden State Warriors. You need a guy that's willing to go out there, throw his, throw his body on the line, and start some trash, talk some trash, and don't really mind getting the tee and getting thrown out. And then if you, even if he does, you have enough on that team where you can keep it rolling and hopefully capitalize off what he did to put you in that situation. Listen, Marcus Smart showed me something, and I think single-handedly him and the rest of the guys, don't get me wrong, Boston's a good team. I'm not saying it's like Mark Smart is the, the, the guy that just they can't live without. But I do think he plays an important role. I seen that last night. And then I seen what Philly don't got. Like, I know we did our predictions before this game. But, yo, if you can get a refund on players, you can't tell me Philadelphia won't be putting in a refund for Harris. Like, you gave me the wrong product, Amazon. This ain't the product that we've seen on the website. What is this? That's what they would do with Tobias Harris. Because I just, oh, my God. He, he let me down last night. He let me down last night. But to keep it short and sweet, no, I don't see anything changing. If anything, MB, about to, he about to stop giving the rip, and then it's going to be unwatchable basketball. That's what might happen. That's the only change I see. But I don't see Philadelphia changing this. Not one bit. This the Celtics. The Celtics got them in every – I don't even know why I can say other than MB himself. What other area or arena of the NBA playoffs could I give to the, the, the 76ers outside of MB? I can't, I can't give you anything else. 
I can't, I just can't do it. So with that said, and last night was the reason. Last night was the crime reason why you can't give the 76ers anything else. You can't because you no one else like want to show up and really get into it. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I like the guy Thabo, at least he played defense, but you gotta kind of put the ball in the hoop. That's how basketball works. And like they weren't doing that enough. So I don't know, man. But no, nah, I don't see no change, man. It's seven. Uh, the Celtics is going to ride this one on into the next round. No change. No changes here. Nothing to see. Um, by the way, Gordon Hayward, um, a lot of respect for him. He's a good player, uh, but he's a luxury item on this team. Uh, he's their fourth He's their fourth scoring option. It's Tatum, Jalen Brown, and then Kimball Walker. Do you really need a fourth guy who can, like, give you, like, 20 points in your starting lineup? No, not really, which is why I've come to the conclusion that at this at, at this juncture in time, Marcus Smart is more critical to what the Celtics do than Gordon Hayward right now. It's not a knock on, but it's just kind of the way it is. Um, but as far as this series go, um, I got I got it going in five. I think MB should get you a game. Um, but we gotta listen, MB went five for five in the first quarter last night, and and Philadelphia was right in the thick of that game. And then tell me why, why on earth, and especially with no Ben Simmons, do you only get, get him 10 shot attempts the rest of the game? It's, and when I look at who's to blame for that, it's, it's everybody. Embiid's got to be, he's got to be more assertive, demanding the basketball. You gotta... Brett, Brett Brown's got to act like a coach. I don't know what he's doing over there with some of the things he's drawing up, or maybe he just gave up and is going to, you know, collect unemployment next week. But, um, some of the stuff he's drawing up just doesn't make any sense at all. But when you have no Ben Simmons and you have two max players who are just – they're just max players only by their contract. By their production, they are, you know, average – they may as well – Al Horford is about a minimum wage player at this point with what he's giving you, with his minus 22 having self. I mean, it's, somebody, it's just disgraceful. They got literally – when they came into this season, we was talking about four max level players. And they – now they got one. They got one max level player and Embiid, I don't even know if he's already, you know, given up to some degree because he knows it's probably not going to happen that he's going to be able to carry this team because we went through it. What we went through it last week, we said Embiid's the best player in this series, but then we would go, we would go Tatum, Brown, Kemba. And I think we threw Hayward in there as well before we'd even come back to Tobias Harris, who I got to admit, I was a little, I was slightly disappointed when I heard what you said last night. Oh, here come the Sixers. Here comes Tobias Harris. I was like, you got suckered into it, man. I'm telling you, this dude, the 76ers got suckered. Elton Brand got suckered into this. The Sixers got suckered into this. You really, they really let Jimmy Butler run off to South Beach and hang out there and be the fourth seed. And he, remember, he was the third best player on their team last year. And they said, no, Jimmy's on the wrong side of 30. But Tobias is on the right side of 30, meaning he's not 30 yet. So we'll take Tobias. We'll oh, sign off money. Go ahead. I don't I, – no, but see, I'm not sure if that was the thing. I think Jimmy Butler told the 76ers no. Because I think he was the first guy offered. And Jimmy Butler said, no, I'll, I'd rather do a sign and trade somewhere else. And they were stuck with Tobias Harris. I don't think they picked Tobias Harris and, and, over. And that I give him more respect than that. That could have been, and that could have been it. But I, I've, I've just seen, I've just seen too much of Tobias Harris to even remotely say, "Oh, Tobias, he's getting hot." And then, you know, I, I at one point, I think, I think Cody heard this. I said, "Oh, Tobias, he's doing a little something. He must have got a good night's sleep last night." 
And then next thing you know, no, I guess he didn't get enough because the fourth quarter, we couldn't find him. We're out here putting in missing person reports, couldn't find him out there when you really needed him. He let me out. It's just, it's just, I was if, out it's there not passing gonna, our flaws. if it's not going to be Joel Embiid, it's not really going to be anybody. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, you know, he put up 15, 8, and 8. I mean, I guess that looks nice. You know, you got the, you know, I guess you almost a triple double. I'm being serious, though. I look at if it's not going to be Embiid, I'd, I'd let Josh Richardson close games for you. That's where I'm at. That's how much I'm not in on Tobias Harris. But the Celtics, I mean, they are who we thought – they are who I thought they were. This is exactly what I expected from them. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown combined for 61 points. I mean, they just doing what they do. Their young wings will determine what they do. And you got Kimball Walker who can make a uh, – he, he's capable of hitting clutch shots for you and giving you about 20 a game. Um I think I think they're going to be fine without Gordon Hayward. I don't think it changes my outlook on them. Period. I still think um, I think the Eastern Conference Finals is my ceiling for them. Although we may have to change that around depending on some other team who still has they they haven't even really entered the bubble yet, as far as I'm concerned. But no, no chance for me. Boston wins this at five, and it may not even get to five at this rate. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at the box, who obviously Brown and Tatum stand out a lot. And, and like I said last week, this this team is going as far as those two wings are going to take them, right? And, and Jalen Brown had a good game because he was really intricate to float them in periods where Philly was kind of making that run in the second half. And he was, you know, the guy that – that's next-level star stuff, really. Because if you're the guy that can get that – you can stop the bleeding. You can find a bucket when they're not – because we see, you know, one dude makes a shot, and then everyone's like, oh, I remember how to do that. And then, you know, but when they're not falling, you're the guy that makes that first one that, that sparks, you know, the momentum, gets things going again. That's that's some next-level star stuff that we're seeing both out of Tatum and Brown now at times. The Celtics, you know, they're really going to need it going forward as you get into some more tougher opponents. But – Despite the matchup, you know, I think that Boston still has a lot to like for the rest of the series. A lot of people say, well, Philly isn't the best matchup for Boston. But I don't know. I see it a little bit different. I mean, they they can destroy Philly on the perimeter, man. I mean, Boston got plenty of shots yesterday between off the dribble shots and your pick and roll where they were doing a lot of work. And they didn't even shoot the ball very well overall. I mean, they shot 42% from the floor, 32% from three, but it was plenty enough. And, and Philly is going to get a lot more creative on defense and get help on these screens. I mean, they were just kind of sitting back and letting them do their thing and letting the one guy just run through the screen and flop around and it just it's, that's not going to work and, and, the, and to that and to that point one of the things they're doing is when they involve Embiid on a screen roll Embiid's just laying back he's not right. challenging so they're, they're getting, yeah, when they come yeah. off them screens there's just jumpers are they're easy yeah and the, the big men is kind of my second thing and really you said you're kind of lamented about Al Horford and I think one of the problems is Al Horford's a center he's this power forward stuff doesn't work well with him I would be looking to put Ty Bull in the lineup and let him you know, get his defense into the starting lineup and maybe try to rotate Horford and Embiid more, kind of split, maybe split their minutes more where they're not overlapping as much because I don't know, like, it just doesn't look like it's going to work. And the thing is, you're not making a lot of money on the offensive end with your double big man, you're going to do the thing together game. It's just, you're not getting much on the offensive end. So why not try to shake it up a little bit and do something different because it ain't working, you know, so. And the last thing is one of the reasons Embiid's touches went down, they, they said this after the game, was the turnovers. I mean, they feel, or, uh, Boston was swarming him on the double team, and they were getting a lot of uh, turnovers off that. So Embiid's got to do better with that. He's either got to take care better of the ball, or he's got to get that kick back out sooner to someone who can yeah. shoot, which is another problem the Celtics or the 76ers have. They don't have a lot of shooters. <laughs> so, But, I mean, it's better than just losing the ball or just having nine dudes fall on top of you. So. I don't know. The 76 is just, like you said, they don't look they're all in on this, and they are like they're partially checked out with Simmons' injury. So I'd be surprised they even won a game in the series at this point. 
Well, the uh, Celtics 76ers and Mavs Clippers weren't the only games in town over the last day or so. The Denver Nuggets won another overtime thriller over the Jazz, 135 to 125, despite a 57-point eruption from Donovan Mitchell. The Raptors dumpstered a scrappy Nets team by 24, and the Magic also caught the Bucks sleeping, taking game one 122 to 110. So, Jay, let's go ahead and start with you, man. Of all these games, which results stood out to you the most? Um, well, you know, uh, Donovan Mitchell, 57 points. That was, that was nice. Um, wasn't enough as I suspected it, w- it wouldn't be. Um, you know, Denver's going to win that series. Jokic is going to do whatever he wants to go bear as he did again. Um, Jamal Murray, that was a great game. It's good to see him having a nice performance. He was my breakout player to start the year. Um, little late, little late for the breakout, but you know, we'll take better late than never as, as we like to say. Um, Raptors nets. It's pretty easy. I mean, you know, Toronto's going to do what they do. Van Fleet gives you 30 and 11. That's very nice. Um, I, will, I will tell you this. I'm paying very close attention to Kyle Lowry and his shooting numbers. I'm paying attention to him. I expect him to fully go back to the Kyle Lowry pre-Kawhi Leonard. Remember the days of Lowry and DeRozan where they were, you know, perennial playoff no-shows. Three for 14, three for 10 from three. I also got to say this. If the NBA kept the statistic for falling down, Lowry would lap the field and falling down. No matter what, whatever play it is, if Lowry is in the air and he feels anything, he is falling down to get a foul. And I just, got oh, that right. it gets on my last nerve. It's so irritating. But anyway, that's enough about them games. Let's get to the real thing here. Um, Hold on. Before you get to the real thing, before you get to the real thing. So let me get this right. We call Kyle Lowry a bar of soap. And you talking about him falling down a lot? Have you tried to hold a wet bar of soap? It get a little rough. That's why they had the term in jail. Don't drop the soap. I, I was thinking about a joke just now like that. I, I refrained, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you said it better though. So that, that's, I like that. Good stuff. Anyway. Well, in, that, in that case, I guess really, he is, he really is the ball. So that'd be good. I could, you know what? Yeah. We could all make, we could probably all make all-star team. If we just went in and fell down over and over. That'd be really cool. Anyway, speaking of falling down flat on their face, how about those Milwaukee Bucks? Yeah, they're, they're pretty good. Not. Um, listen, I will say Orlando, uh, Orlando pulled this thing last year against those same Toronto Raptors. If you remember, they won game one of that series last season, in the first round. And people were, you know, they were up in arms about, oh, could the Raptors be in trouble? Well, no, they weren't because they won the next four games. You knew the magic, the magic of fraudulent. The magic of like 33 and 40. They didn't all of a sudden get good. I'm not buying this. They, but I will tell you this about the Bucs. Listen, all of these people are professionals. So when Milwaukee comes in here and they think they're still playing seeding games and they don't come in with the right level of focus, intensity, and attention to detail, these type of things can happen. And you can have one of these games where you just get blitzed by an inferior team who doesn't even have Aaron Gordon, who don't have Jonathan Isaac, and Evan Fournier didn't decide to hit a shot until the fourth quarter, and you still get you still get just blitzed. It's, some, it, it's something we got to pay attention to. I fully, I fully consider this an absolute anomaly, um, and I absolutely expect Milwaukee to come out focused in game two, and I expect this series to be over in five games. I absolutely believe that. But I will tell you, I will be, I will be, um, it'll be a four alarm fire if they lose game two and I will be in full panic mode. I won't jump, I won't jump ship, but I'll be in a panic mode more than I am right now because you can't, you cannot be that awful at everything. Let me tell you, that's about as good as Orlando can play. Nikola Vucevic, 35 points, hitting all the threes in the world. How many do you have? 
five for eight from three, 15 of 24. I don't know what Brooke Lopez was doing. I think Brooke Lopez has had a really good season um, defensively. He's been excellent. We know how his game has developed as the game has changed. So he has changed with the game, hitting a lot of threes for you this year. But yeah, he comes out with five points, two for nine, and obviously wasn't playing all that great a defense if Vucevic is putting up 35. Um, so that was a, it was a disgraceful performance by him. I think I think many a time he can be your third best player if you're Milwaukee. And then speaking of your other complimentary pieces, we'll get back. We'll get to Giannis in a minute. Uh, Middleton, Middleton. I know out of all the duos that we talk about in the NBA, I mean you're the you're the bottom tier duo, dude. We know this, even though they let you in the All Star game, 50-49, you was close. But you got to show up. It's playoff time. We can't have these four of twelve dud performances. I mean, I, I, you know what? I'd love to criticize Eric Bledsoe right now, but I can't because he gave you 15 points on five for 11. That's actually exceeding what I expect from him. The only problem I have with Eric Bledsoe, you know the worst thing that happened to Bledsoe in this game? He came out there and hit a three to start the game. And then that, I think he thought since he hit that three, like, oh, I can make threes. So he shot four more and didn't hit any of them. So, you know, I got I got that little problem. But at yeah. least he put up 15. I mean, some of these dudes didn't give you anything. You know, one shot, heat check. I love it. Steven Chencho was like one for six. Connaughton didn't do anything. George Hill had a relatively decent game. But there's so many dudes. Milwaukee has so much depth, so much quality depth. And then you just – you look at the totality of what they've done, and it's just – you're just unimpressed. They are – they were off – as much as I say Orlando, I don't think Orlando can play any better than they played today. Milwaukee, I don't think they could play any worse. They were not good in any facet of this game. Defensively, I've talked about this. You got to pick something that you're going to take away on defense. Milwaukee traditionally, especially throughout this season, they have chosen to protect the paint. And they say, well, we're going we're gonna to concede. There's going to be open perimeter shots. Uh, but we're going to protect the paint. Well, they're not protecting the paint, and they're still giving up three. So they're not guarding anything right now. They're giving up I mean, just straight line drives to the basket. Guys are getting free on these little simple cut plays and just getting behind Brooke Lopez and just laying the ball up. And just a simple thing. If you can't, if you cannot stay between your man and the rim, you're going to have problems. And immediately, immediately, they whatever perimeter defender it is, they get beat off the dribble and they're immediately put into a disadvantage rotating. And that's just happened time and time again today. And then offensively in the half court, I, I, that's not Mike Budenholzer offense. I don't know what they're running right now, but this whole thing where we just we just either give the ball to Giannis or we give the ball to Middleton and say, all right, well, y'all just do something. I mean, wh when did they become the Houston Rockets? I don't understand it. This the, the, Mike Budenholzer offenses, you can go back to his days with Atlanta, go back to the Spurs when, when he was an assistant with the Spurs. Ball movement, ball movement, ball movement. I don't see it. I just see one dude out there with the ball playing one-on-one, -on -one, or in Giannis's case, one-on-five, and then whatever you get, it's not good. And then they don't—they also don't seem to be protecting the basketball, so they're getting beat in transition over and over before they can even set up a defense, which they're not playing right now. So there's there's a whole lot of things that are not good right now with the Milwaukee Bucks, and they got to get it together real quick. Um, you can't—you can't have another performance like this. You have to come out focused in game two. You can't tell me you're all of a sudden just not good and, and Orlando is all of a sudden a better team with lesser personnel somehow. You're not going to be able to tell me that. Um, and again, I don't expect this to continue. I don't know what Mike Budenholzer could say to these dudes, but he got to have something in store for them. And then also, 
I get it. There's no crowd noise. It's a bubble. It's a weird environment. But I mean, I, I, y'all would have the Bucks were the best team in basketball this year, wire to wire, up until um, when the league shut down in March. What what has changed? That the same players. I don't understand it. They got to fix it. Go ahead, drink. <clears throat> oh my bad. My bad. I was doing my best Bucks impersonation because I had to take a quick nap. Here's the deal. Um, that was that was my first takeaway. Was that, that I don't know what what the Bucks was doing. You know, I don't. Uh, Giannis, Giannis, you you see your boy over here, Giannis, Giannis. Could you please tell me what the you was doing? Cause you yo you wilding, b. You wilding. You gotta get your boys. You got to get them back in action, all right? Uh, I don't know what that was about, but I do agree with Jay. That's an anomaly. I don't think we see that continuously. I hope not because that's a pretty long sleep. My second takeaway is um, the Utah Jazz. Um, Utah, for you, you will be delivering, not DiGiorno's. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know what 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 else we can do. I know you uh, – know, um, Later, we'll talk about you getting a piece back. But listen, this is what you are, Utah. You take out. You take out. We, we don't even give you enough credit to cook you. We order you. We take you out. That's what you That's what you get, Utah. Here's the deal. You come out, you get the best punch you can give, and you still take the L? Utah, you 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 gave it your all. And it was, you sound like Charles Barkley in the Last Dance documentary. Yeah, that was the day I realized it was a player better than me. I just gave him my all. He was just better. Yo, <laughs> that's what Utah sound like right there. What are we doing here? You sound like the Charles Barkley special, baby. All right? Utah, they, they're a waste of ESPN slash TNT airtime right now. That was the that was my second takeaway. And Milwaukee out here sleeping, trying to um give us a new season of The Walking Dead. That ain't going to cut it. That ain't going to cut it either, Milwaukee. Like, what are you doing here? What are you doing? And, yeah, I know Orlando got a reputation of this. This sorry-ass Orlando team, I don't want to hear nothing about that. Nothing. This game, this series should be a sweep of Ruski with the Hoover. That's what it should be. Hoover vacuum, that is. Sorry. Should have said vacuum. But either way, this is ridiculous. So, uh, you know, not to keep it too long. But you know, Jay hit him. He hit him pretty nice. I just wanted to make sure I took old number two on Utah and Milwaukee for their performances up to this point thus far. Over to you, Cody. I have a qu- I have a question. Did you have that takeout menu like on hand, like in the car just now, or like was that? <laughs> yeah, tell yeah, me I about it, that. I had it in the car. I had, I, okay. Well, so so yeah, I had it in the car, and then I thought about it. I looked at it. and I said, what could I compare to that takeout menu? The Utah Jazz. There we go. There All we right. go. All right. And in so, his car, and he's got props. That's that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> that is absolutely incredible. I love it. Uh, yeah, I, I want to start off by highlighting uh, outside of the games themselves. Can we take a second to appreciate how good some of this young talent in the NBA really is? Like some of the young stars we have in this league, man. Donovan Mitchell dropped 57 points last night. The youngest player to do that since Michael Jordan in 1986. Doncic's 42 in his first playoff game ever, an NBA record for anyone's first uh, playoff game, period. And only Tracy McGrady, LeBron James, and Magic Johnson have scored 
40-plus in a playoff game at age 21. So when you add in the outstanding performances by Jamal Murray and Jason Tatum, this is the first time that four players under 25 have scored at least 30 in one day in the playoffs. So outside of the games themselves and the matchups, this league, man, this is some really good hands going forward. you got to like it if you're, you're a fan of what's to come. That's uh, a some of these older heads kind of roll out. It's pretty incredible. These guys are just getting started. But, yeah, I mean, a couple quick thoughts in each game. Um, Jay pretty much tore up the Bucks like they deserve. Um, I don't know what that game I just saw was. Um, but, yeah, again, it highlights the one issue that Milwaukee really has is, is Chris Middleton is a shaky second option. And if he starts having problems, you're going to have to get one of those third or fourth guys like Brooke Lopez to really step up. Sometimes they do, but they don't always do so. And, and man, four for 12, that's not going to – 14, that's not going to cut it. I mean, that's just – you you – you were not paid like that, nor should you perform like that. And, I mean, Giannis, you know, he did his thing, but no one else really decided they wanted to play. And, I mean, I mean, Orlando is not a horrible team. They are a playoff team. Vucevic is a star. The Markeel Fultz reclamation is looking better every day at least. Uh, Terrence Ross is a sixth man that most teams would like to have around. But uh, they're still the eighth seed. They're still 33 and 40. Like, you, this shouldn't be an issue. So, I mean – Again, we'll see because last year, I mean, Milwaukee slept through the start of the series. Orlando won their first game. But without Aaron Gordon or Jonathan Isaac, that is embarrassing. Like, you well, so you you absolutely right. And would you like to take bad. a guess at who started in their places? Could I interest you in James Ennis and Gary Clark? Who the hell are they? Come on, man. I've heard of Gary don't Clark. Be letting, before, don't be letting Milwaukee off the hook. Inexcusable. Come on, man. Let me, I'm not let me letting them off this. the hook. Let me Google this. Let me Google this. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, you know, moving on, uh, I would say, you know, Nuggets, Jazz. Uh, this is why I thought this game, this series is going to be a sweet man. I mean, J- Jazz just gave them the best two punches they had in their last two games. I mean, three overtime periods. Denver won both games. Utah in the first game, they, they had 35 from Mitchell, and they had 19-plus from Clarkson, Gobert, Conley, and they shot 40% as a team from three. They made 22 threes. And then this game, you get almost 60 from Mitchell. You get still good nights from Clarkson, Gobert, and Ingles, and it's still not enough. I mean, the Jazz, they have three or four options. The Nuggets just have more, and they have more answers. I I mean, yeah, I mean, the Nuggets probably aren't going to shoot 53% from three like they did in the game one. But, I mean, so I guess if that doesn't happen and Mitchell gives you 60 more, maybe you might win a game. But, I mean, other than – the only thing I have concern for with the Nuggets is, is there any defensive strategy change against Mitchell? I mean, Torrey Craig got destroyed, so – do you put Jeremy Grant maybe on him more? Do you start, like, playing more team defense and just double-teaming him, trapping him, et cetera? But other than nope. that, man, I, I don't – I mean, if Mitchell plays like that every game, they're going to win one. But other than that, I, I, that, that series in a sweep still. Yeah, and the Raptors, only thing I'll say about that game, I, I had a little expectation for the Nets after that great game against Portland, but I see that was completely misplaced. Raptors, other than Van Vliet, didn't even play all that well, and they just – the only reason this game was even 24 points was the Raptors took a quarter off. It probably would have been 30 or 40. So, yeah, I, that's a sweep. I mean, we got a couple – I think with this playoff format, you might see a couple sweeps more than we're used to seeing. It could be – some of these series, they could get kind of ugly. We'll see. All right, finally tonight, we let's visit the world of college football once again. Since the season suspensions by the Big 12 and Pac-12, controversy has brewed among some players, coaches, and families. Many players and coaches are upset over the cancellation of their seasons when three other conferences have decided it's still safe to play. Notably, Ohio State star quarterback Justin Fields, a Heisman finalist last year, has started a petition with over 260,000 signatures to reverse the Big Ten decision. Also this week, it was reported by some sources and athletic directors that the Big Ten may not have even voted on the cancellation at all, with confusion and conflicting messages dominating the storyline. 
Even some parents, such as Ohio State cornerback Sean Wade's parents, are heading to the Big Ten headquarters for answers. So, Drink, this is some surprising news coming out of the Big Ten. Think they're going to have a change of heart, and is, or is this rift going to spur some changes in college football in the future? Uh, listen, uh, your question says, do I think they're going to have a change of heart? They already had a change of heart. Like, let's go ahead and call it what it is. That heart has been changed already because we just heard two, two, some odd, like, within the last two weeks, oh, it's a vote. We didn't have the vote. Only two teams voted to keep the season going. Nebraska and – it was Nebraska and Iowa, was it? Like, the two teams we don't even care about in the big The team. report was 10-2 to two is what they had said okay. happened. So, that's, so said. that's what we hear. And then now we hear, oh, the season going to be postponed to August 11th. Like, dang, that's apples and oranges, right? Because, you know, Apple said we wasn't playing. Oranges said, oh, just, just a quick delay. Okay, cool. Cool. And then the parents got involved. You know, that Mothers of America, you know, all that good stuff. You know what I'm saying? I ain't seen my son here to sit around and build you a bench. I sent him here to play football. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? I didn't, I didn't, you know what I'm saying? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't send him to be an engineer. I sent him to crack heads. So I'm going to need you, that Ryan Coach Day, to um, get my boys on the field or we're going to have to go. And then that's when the Big Ten commissioner comes in. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. No need, no need for that. We ain't got to take nobody out. Leave them here. Let leave them here. Then we can we can work this out. We can work this out. He on ESPN. Yeah, man. I don't even think a vote really happened. Wait, what? Okay, cool. Ooh. Now that make the parents happy, right? So now the parents like, yeah, that's what we were saying. We were saying it wasn't no vote. Yeah, yeah, that's what we were saying. You know, now. The Big Ten is spinning them wheels a little bit, right? Because now they, they, they're trying to figure it out. They got it to where they got everybody interest, where we like, hmm, I wonder what the Big Ten really going to do. Um, but let's see, can they make it happen? Can they get a schedule? Can they, can they figure this out? Which I don't understand why. The Big Ten, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. The Big Ten, the way it's set up, what team – it's, I think it's one team that's kind of ducked off a little farther, but for the most part, the big I don't I don't understand why the Big Ten can't make this happen. Furthermore, I don't understand with you knowing that you're the first or second best conference in college football. Why would you just say no so early? Why would you postpone so early without giving yourself? You knew what was gonna happen. You knew what was going to – just like the SEC knew what was going to happen. That's why the SEC was like, listen, we going down to 12, 59, 59 seconds. We going to squeeze everything we can get out of this before we say no because this is what we do. This is why these kids come here. Now everybody's like, oh, you want to put football over safety. No, the players want to put football over safety. It's not me, the fan. It's not me, the media personnel. No matter what happens, I'm we still gonna be here talking. We still gonna be on TV watching. So even even if like they decided not to play college football at all, okay, cool. We'll talk about the NBA then. We'll talk about the NFL. We'll do we'll do what we still gonna do what we do is my point. So don't put it on, oh, it's you know, it's the fans, it's the media pushing, they don't give a rest, you know tell about these kids' health. No, these kids want to play. You heard what Sean Wade said. I did not come back from my senior year not to play. No. Everybody's saying, well, listen, 
We're not saying college football is canceled. We're just saying we're pushing it back to fall. Did y'all talk to the NFL about that? Because I don't think the NFL gives a, a flying, you know, whatever about what you're talking about. Like, I Bro, ain't seen the NFL move. Oh, Bro, wait, you probably meant to say spring, right? Spring, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we're pushing it back to spring, I'm sorry. Which, But listen, this I'm glad you corrected me on that. Because they say the spring, since when did the spring go January through March? Where I live, it does, but yeah, um, most places now I hear it doesn't. Okay, so with that said, that's even on a weird conundrum itself. When you actually look at it, it keeps yelling spring, but it's actually January through March. Um, and I guess you know, they're, I guess we, they're, I, I guess they're putting a lot of faith in Groundhog Day. I, I, guess, I guess so. So, and and then once you say that, right? When you if you have a star athlete on your team, that star athlete like okay, I just get ready for the NFL. If you're gonna tell me I can't really play until January, what's the point? What is the point? January is when the season is over. That's not when the season starts. That's when the season is over. So now if the season doesn't start until January, right? Well, I'm just gonna go prepare for the NFL. If that's the case, if, I mean, because you think about it. Most of these guys are going to get drafted in, at the um, the spot that they're supposed to get drafted at anyway because you can't what – you, what you going to say? You don't got enough tape? You got enough tape. What are you going to say? You didn't see enough? You didn't see enough of anybody because nobody's playing for real, for real. So that's why I, I, I'm, I wasn't a big fan of the pushback because we're going to talk about it later. Uh, uh, you know, a head coach have come out in the news and said you were – Render college football irrelevant if you push it to spring, because all the names, because you don't necessarily call them stars in college football, because they're student athletes. But all the names that we know are gonna bounce. They're gonna leave. They're out of here. Primito, see you later. Catch you on the other side. They're out of here. So it doesn't matter. Now, to get to the to answer your question, with this real change college football i do not think so unless we have another pandemic of the sort um i do think like i've always said you get you get ideas out of all this right so i do think an idea would be created out of this but i don't i don't necessarily think that this is a a, a problem we see for a long term like it's a reoccurring problem that's what i want to say i don't think it's a reoccurring thing i think you know they I would get an NCAA this or the, or the conferences. I would get an individual conferences this. They're trying to make, they're trying to do something. They're not just sitting there. They're not pulling a Washington football team. We ain't gonna do nothing. Like they're actually putting forth an effort to do something. So I gotta give them that credit, right? They're trying to make something happen. And I get a Big Ten this credit. You, you, you messed up. You messed up, Big Ten, by declaring so early that you wasn't gonna play. And you're eating crow for it, but at least you're willing to eat crow to go back and maybe get a solution to this. You knew doggone well when you said that what these parents was gonna do. You knew it was gonna happen. This is the Big Ten. This ain't the AAC. Like, you know, this ain't the Sun Belt Conference. This is the Big Ten Conference. You knew what was gonna happen when you canceled the season. I don't know why, why the, the AD and the president, oh, uh, well, you know, I always think about. Come on, man. You got to be better than that. You know what time it is. You know what time it is. So, with that said, um, I like what Justin – I want to give a give a shout-out to to the likes of, you know, 
Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence. Um, I seen Najee Harris. Um, some a couple of other stars. Um, I think Trevor Ch- Herbert, the running back. I seen him say some things. Even Travis Etienne. I like because because the way college football is set up, they 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 don't supposed to be stars or brands. They supposed to just be student athletes. But I like these guys. They got a name for themselves. Coming out saying we want to play. They started the we want to play movement. I like that. I like that because the players are the ones that's going to make this happen. Make no mistake. If the players keep saying that they want to play, we're going to play. That's all it is to it. It's just like the NBA bubble. LeBron wanted to play basketball. We playing basketball. It is what it is. And no, and, and if those young stars say they want to play, they're going to figure out a way to play. So kudos to those guys. Shouts out to them. Holla at your boy. And, you know, Let's get some NCAA football, baby. Do you have the Big Ten playing football this uh, fall? I think we about to they, – they caving in. I yeah. think we, we about to okay. roll on to it. I yeah, it. I think okay. they're going to play. Yeah, I, I, love, I love to see this, by the way, because as you know, I was pretty disappointed that the Big Ten made the decision. They were first to make the decision that nah, we're uh, we going to wait till the spring. All right, that's a big blow because, as I said, I mean, and Dabo Sweeney disagrees. Like, no, it's going to be a legit college football national champion. And then, you know, could be Alabama Clemson like usual. Uh, but as you know, Ohio State's always in the mix somewhat. You know, they're, they're in it. And then there's a lot of next-level teams that are at least in the rankings. Think about Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin, even Iowa. Minnesota now is up in there doing some stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of teams in the Big Ten worth watching. This ain't the Pac-12 we're talking about. Oh, oh Pac-12. Way. Did you bring up Pac-12? Let's hear about the oh, Pac-12 by, since you brought them up. Oh, by the way, I love what I'm hearing from the Big Ten. They pushing back. You ain't heard. Radio silence in the Pac-12. Nobody's making a fuss. I don't even know if anyone even cares. This is, like you <laughs> said, like they just want the beaches open. Anyway. <laughs> But I, I love what I'm seeing from people in the Big Ten. Shout out to Justin Fields. Get the petition. Get all the signatures. Similar, you remember, um, remember when uh, the Ma- Major League Baseball was having, you know, some troubles in the, the, the Players Association and the, you know, the commissioner, they couldn't get on the same page. And then it was some of the star players that started on social media, the win and wear hashtag. And then that's what kind of really got things going for them. Similar mm-hmm. type thing here. I love it. I mean, you know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like a peaceful protest. You know how much we love them. So I'm all about it. Players push back. Let's get this thing going. This is what I want to see. The Big Ten matters. This is not the Pac-12. As far as I'm concerned, we can go ahead and change it from the Power 5 to the Power 4 and move on and oh, get the wow. season cooking. Let's move. Somebody somebody get disrespectful in here today, folks. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, go ahead, Cody. Oh, my. Just roasting the Pac-12. I- I am. I'm fine with it. I know you most of the Pac-12. Um, you know, the biggest thing you look at with this, what's really striking is the Big Ten, I'm thinking what happened is they wanted to go ahead and kink this. And they had a lot of pushback from some of the 80s and the presidents and the coaches that called them and said, yo, don't do this. Don't, don't drop the ball on this. 
but they really like that united front. The, pack, the, pack, the Big Ten's always been the united front kind of conference. We're all together. We're all locked arms. You know, like the, 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 the SEC is basically Alabama and whoever else wants to play that year. The ACC has been Clemson for or Florida State since the entire inception of it. Um, but the Big Ten's always had this kind of more like cohesive feel about them. And I think what they probably didn't want the word to get out of how controversial and how split this was in the conference. They try to say, oh, yeah, yeah, vote. It was like 12 to 2. I mean, it's unanimous. We, we all wanted to shut down the season. And it's kind of coming out now. It's leaking around the seams of uh, maybe we didn't want that. Because we know, like, teams like Nebraska were – they were high. Even Ohio State had threatened to go play elsewhere. Now, again, I don't know if they can do that. But, hey, maybe they can. Um, but but the, but the big problem with the Big Ten now is they're, they're sort of back in this no-win. Because – if you look at the rationale, they said, we are shutting the season down because of COVID-19. We don't think it's safe to play. And after talking to our doctors, we do not think it's safe. Well, if enough people get pissed, is it just, well, we're going to play anyway. Good luck, guys. Like, you, unless you can convince me that your rationale of the pandemic changed, then it looks really bad for your conference. Now, they could just say, hey, maybe if everyone wants to do it, then we're just – let them take the risk. I don't know, but that's going to be hard to, that's going to be a hard decision to walk back because of the spirit of which the decision was made, which was player health and safety. And if that hasn't ridiculously changed, which it it hasn't in the last week or two, you know, that's going to be a tough, that's a tough hurdle to overcome. Right. But I would say besides that, you know, if you wait till spring, yeah, the NFL draft's a big issue. Most of these players are not going to play because, you know, they say spring. What they really mean is March, April, May. It's likely they would probably say, hey, come back from, you know, school, come back to school in January. You play for, you practice for a couple weeks, maybe five, six weeks, and you play the games. You know, you're going to run right through the NFL draft. And I can tell you the NFL draft ain't going to move very much, if at all. So you'll have a lot of players that just go, look, I'm not going to get drafted when I'm only five games through my regular season. Like, I'm not going to risk that. You know, even with a minor injury, I could miss training camp or I could – my draft stock could slide even over a minor, not like some season-ending injury, you know, a torn quad or something. That could that could take me out for the draft, and I could be a fourth-round pick and make a million dollars versus be a first-round pick and make seven or eight, nine million dollars. So that's a big problem, and a lot of even pretty good players would just say, hey, forget it. I'm not interested in this. So – I wonder at this point if they can even walk it back. And I do think you're going to see on the subject some serious changes, regardless of the Big Ten decides they're going to play in the fall or not, which, again, at this point, it's, it's hard to imagine they're going to be able to get this back on track. They might. I mean, people get mad about stuff changes it pretty fast. We all know that. But I would say that you're going to potentially see a, a, a commissioner come out for college football through the five conferences. Uh-huh. One person right. is going to right. become right. a – because that's been something that's been pushed on before. But now more than ever, they need a unified voice. One person to say, hey, we're doing this or we're not. And they don't have that right now, which is what you, you lead yeah. to this 3-2 fiasco. Um, this 10 conference – was- yeah, yeah. I was just going to – I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot, totally forgot to say about that. But I would say this. The problem the the problem I hear is how how could you make a commissioner for – because they said the reason you can't make a commissioner for NCAA is because these are students. They're not professional athletes. Even though they generate just as much money as professional sports, mm-hmm. but they are students by the law. Like, they're students first, then athletes. They're student athletes. So because they're in a collegiate atmosphere, they say you can't put a commission in there to make them do anything because they're not professionals because they still got amateurism. Yeah. 
I mean, the, the you would have to keep the, the power search would have to be like a voluntary through the five, you know, conference, you know, presidents or however they have it, the structure, the five leaders, the leader of each conference would have to, I guess they'd have to just say, hey, look, you know, we're going to be more of a board and we're going to leave the ultimate decision up to a single person and kind of function out like a CEO does in a company where the conferences would probably still make their own individual decisions, but it would be, they'd be unified. There would be one voice and there'd be one person making the decisions. So, I mean, and again, that that's going to be a tricky water to navigate, but they already done it with the playoff and everything else. They could figure it out if they really wanted to. Um, I think this 10-game conference schedule is going to stick around. I don't know about y'all, but some of these look pretty good. And I think a lot of these cupcake nonsense games are not going to come back. I think this is something you're going to see. And, and Oh, no. You know, the players are Chips pushing pretty bench. hard for some kind of union. And I, I think that's something else you can see. These players are going to want some kind of protection and not get you know, ran over as much. You know, If their seasons are in jeopardy, if they had a whole union, maybe the whole players could say, hey, we're all not playing unless it's all in the fall. So, you know, that's just some things to consider. But I think this is um, – even if this doesn't get fixed, this is going to be a big deal for college football, not just this year, but but beyond. All right, guys, so I finish off with rapid reaction. A lot of topics, a little bit of time. Let's go, Drake. Let's roll, baby. Duke's man basketball coach Mike Krzyzewski decided – doesn't believe the NCAA can afford to cancel another NCAA tournament. What do you think, Jay? Oh, I agree with him. I don't think the NCAA can afford it, and I can't afford it. I can't go through two straight years without filling out um, a bracket. I'm going to need to, you know, I'll need counseling if two straight years of that. That, that can't happen. Cowboys defensive yeah. tackle Gerald McCoy ruptured his right quadriceps tendon during the first padded practice of training camp, and he's been released by the Cowboys. Hard to catch a tougher break than that, right, Drink? Yeah, man, that that sucks, man. I, I let me tell you, I for one was was ready to see Gerald McCoy come and do something. You know, the Cowboys, one of those little thrift thrift shop deals that they do on that defensive line, caught them a little coupon sale. But I want I wanted to see him get down, and it's a game of football. It happens, man. It's it's tough to hear, but yeah, definitely a tough break, man. Definitely a tough break. New York Yankees slugger Yo Carlos Stanton has been placed on injured on the injury list with a left hamstring strain, and is believed he will miss about four weeks. What's your reaction? Forget my reaction. Uh, Yankee fans cannot be pleased with this. He hasn't played uh, a whole lot since 2018. He played just like 18 games last year, and now this. So uh, they're probably not pleased. Not a good investment on that 300 million dollar contract or whatever. Mm. Alabama coach Nick Saban thinks spring football could turn into a JV season because pro prospects won't participate due to the overlap of the NFL draft. You agree with them? 110%, baby. We just talked about it. We just talked about it. If you put keep pushing this, the season back, the top names are not going to play. They don't benefit from going out there getting hurt so close to the draft or the combine. Not even the draft. Let's talk about the combine. They don't – they don't benefit from getting hurt so close to the combine because you know when you can't do certain things at the combine, what they do? Start talk and start speculation, and then it rolls into the drought. Absolutely, I agree with him on this one, 100%. The Ravens will host former Cowboys wide receiver Dez Bryant for a workout this week. Do you think they'll sign him? It's going to be shocking to you all, but yes, they will sign him. He'll take the veteran's minimum, veteran wide receiver. He'll be a red zone threat, and he'll make somewhat of a difference for the Ravens. He'll help a little bit. Utah Jazz point guard Mike Conley returned to the NBA bubble Monday night and could be available for game three against Denver. How much of a difference will he make? Well, I, I got this one from Cody in the brainstorm. But look, listen, you just put up the vacuum and you pull out the push broom. That's all it is to it. But 
ain't much of a difference. <laughs> it ain't much of a difference at all, you know? Now you ain't got to worry about plugging the joint in. Just push it on out to the side, out to the corner, and then we're going to deal with it like that. Padres, the San Diego Padres shortstop, Fernando Titas Jr., hits his first grand slam last night, but not everyone was pleased, including his own manager. What's up with that, Jay? I believe it was the eighth inning. The Padres were up seven runs. It was a 3-0 count. Third base coach gave uh, Tatis a, a take sign, which means don't swing at the next pitch. He swung at the next pitch and obliterated it. And uh, that seven-run lead turned an 11-run lead. It was like, why'd you swing at the pitch? We're up seven runs. We're going to win. Uh, one of those unwritten baseball rule type things. I don't know why anybody's mad. If I'm the Rangers, how about playing better and pitching better? So, mm. yeah, I don't, I don't really care about it. Baylor and Gonzaga say they will both play men's college basketball this season. Both are projected as preseason top five teams. You find this news encouraging? Well, yeah, um, I would I would find it a little more encouraging if we had like some some you know brass at the top actually saying you know putting a little more friction into it. But yeah, you know it can't hurt. It's not bad news for sure. So yeah, I definitely find it encouraging. Um, the SEC will require face coverings for all fans and workers that attend football games this fall. Is that fair? Yeah, it's fair. I'm, I'm surprised we're all already rushing back into putting fans in stadiums, but I think if you put them in there, sure, go ahead and wear a mask. I hear it works. I hear it works pretty good. Last one, yeah. game two for the Mavs and Clippers tomorrow night. Who you got? The Clippers. Like, <laughs> the Mavericks can't do anything with the Clippers. I'm not even going to say sugarcoat this. We just talked about this. We had a whole segment. The Mavs can't do nothing with the Clippers right now. They got to grow a little bit. So, yeah, I definitely got the Clippers. Word. All right. Well, that concludes today's Drink of Wisdom. I'm Cody Ward. I'm Jay Wise. And I'm Nathan Drinker. And remember, make tomorrow better than today and make today better than yesterday. And you know what we're going to do. You know what we're going to do. Holler at you until next time, baby.